0: The Canucks are hanging on by the thinnest of threads as they return home to Rogers Arena. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, the home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host back here at Rogers Arena, Thomas Drantz, who of course covers the team with The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight, build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit avenuemachinery.ca. And, Drancer, I hope that, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody from Vancouver gets Timo Meyer a gift basket or something, because shout-out to Timo Meyer for scoring with under a second to go for the San Jose Sharks against the Vegas Golden Knights. The Sharks beat the Knights in a shootout last night, and that one point – keeps the Canucks technically still alive by the absolute thinnest of margins, the thinnest possible margin in the NHL playoff race here with three games to go in the regular season. Uh,
1: Are you familiar with the movie Snatch? I am, yes. Yeah, real Boris the Blade vibes coming off of the Vancouver Canucks. They they are unkillable, right? I mean, how many lives does this team have? My goodness. Yeah. You probably say they used one in early December, right? And they probably used another on that, in January on that East Coast road trip where they bounced back and beat the Capitals and the Predators, both legs of a back-to-back after starting 0-3 on that trip. Uh, I think you'd have to say they had another one when they went East and beat the Rangers and then the Islanders and then the Leafs, right? That was incredible. And then I think you'd have to say for sure that they had another one against Colorado and then Minnesota and Dallas when they went on a little three-game point streak. And then again Mm -hmm. in the month of April when they didn't, you know, it took them – eight games in April, nine games. It took them nine games in April before they didn't get points from one of their games that they played. Incredible. Uh, this team is unkillable, and maybe that matters. Probably not. Almost certainly not. In fact, no chance. Well, not no chance. It's but, not but, no chance, but, but pretty much no chance. It would be, and, and they're Chris, at 0%. Chris, <laughs> yeah. Chris Faber, get the bell ready. They're at 0% <laughs> officially, as of today, on uh, from Dom LeCision's uh, model at the at the athletic, so zero percent. They are no no team's ever made the playoffs in Dom's model if they hit one percent at any point in the season. The Canucks have hit one percent three times and are now at zero, truly flatlined. And yet, perhaps.
0: Perhaps they're still beating. So, so to walk everyone through the the one scenario, and this is where we're at, right? It's like uh, <laughs> we're what, Infinity we're, War or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We're in Doctor Strange <laughs> yes, territory. It's like, amazing. Of all the fourteen million scenarios or whatever, there is la- literally only one scenario uh, where the Canucks make the playoffs, and it is, of course, that the Canucks win out, win all of their games. There are three remaining games against the Kraken, the Kings, and the Oilers. They need Vegas to beat Dallas in regulation tomorrow, and then they need, in the both of those teams would then have two remaining games, and they could not pick up a point uh, in any of those games. So they need Vegas <laughs> to beat Dallas in regulation. I and can then, see that happening. And then other Dallas the, is not good. Dallas is not good, and then outside of that, they also need Dallas to lose their final two games in regulation, and Vegas. Including one against Arizona. And that is, there's a lot of flies in the ointment here. Biggest. How many games the do ointment? they
1: need Arizona to win?
0: Only one. Only one. Okay. Because Vegas doesn't play Arizona. But they also need a win from Chicago, They need a win, and from Anaheim. Because (laughs) Dallas Dallas goes Vegas, Anaheim, Arizona, I believe, or Arizona-Anaheim. It might be reversed, but anyways, it's it's Arizona and Anaheim. uh, And then Vegas goes Dallas, Chicago, and St. Louis, I believe. So you need... You need Anaheim, Chicago, and Arizona all to beat teams fighting for their playoff lives. And you need to take care of your own business. And you got to hope Vegas beats Dallas in regulation. So that that is the path. That is the one final pathway that still exists, still exists for the Canucks to make it into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And hey, now Vegas and Dallas— they I love are- that they all need
1: to be regulation.
0: Like, you know, it's not just that A they lot, need— yes.
1: The wins, they need the wins
0: to be in regulation. Now, to be fair, the Canucks oh, don't boy. need to win their games in regulation. No. Because if Dallas is losing out, they already hold the regulation wins tiebreaker over right. Dallas. But they do need Vegas to beat Dallas in regulation, and then they need no no more points. Not a single other point from any of the teams involved. So, yeah, suffice it to say, an extremely, extremely difficult proposition for the Vancouver Canucks. But look, Vegas and Dallas, they drop the puck at 530 tomorrow night. The Canucks and Seattle drop the puck at 7 here at Rogers Arena. And that means technically game, game 80. Game 80 of the season, Drancer, here against Seattle. The Canucks will still be alive at least when the game begins uh, and we will see what happens in the Vegas and Wh- Dallas which game. Which does at the same still time. leave
1: open the very gallows humor uh, dread that yes. some of our listeners had last week about the Kraken ending the Canucks season. I mean, could you imagine if Dallas does in fact lose in regulation to Vegas,
0: but the Canucks season is finally ended by the Kraken? That would be It awful. could happen. It absolutely could happen. 650, uh, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. This one comes in. They've used up all of their nine lives and then some get out the golf clubs, and look, that's uh, th- that's where this is headed. And it's, it's impressive that they've been able to hang on this long. And even Bruce Boudreaux, who's been so relentlessly positive, and when he spoke to the media after practice today at Rogers Arena, you know, he talked a lot about... How important that kind of positive, never give up mindset is to him. Like going back to his days as a player, even. But even he said, you know, hey, you know, stranger things have happened. And then he kind of corrected himself. Well, I don't know if they have actually. <laughs> so even <laughs> even the relentlessly, relentlessly positive. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux kind of recognizes where things stand for the Vancouver Canucks right now. And Marcus and Gibson says, as Jake the Snake once said to Macho Man, crazier things have happened. And I don't know. This This would be right up there with uh, one of the all-time... Well, here's the thing, Grant. Here. It would be one of the all-time miracles from a Canucks perspective in NHL history. It would also be one of the all-time choke job, choke jobs from certainly a Dallas Stars perspective, perspective when you look at how they're playing. Uh, recently but I think you could also argue from a Vegas Golden Knights perspective as well so it would it would just have to be an absolutely wild confluence of events uh, for that to happen and with that perspective or that with that context the Canucks they were back on the ice at Rogers Arena (laughs) unfortunately our friends at play now have taken NHL
1: regular season props to make the playoffs off the board so the yeah. Canucks are off the board at, at our from our, from the bookies at uh, at PlayNow, um, which is severely disappointing. I really wanted to read a one 2 X number odds, but I uh, you know twenty five. I mean, what do you think? What what would it what would it
0: take for you to be like that's good value? Right. I mean, probably like twenty five k. Probably not quite that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you you're talking about you know 100 to 1 at least right like at it's least. it's a, it's above that oh way more than that like 200 to 1 something like at that at least yeah um and even then it's you know <laughs> yeah you're you're not quite, you're not quite sure and i think the reason they've taken it off is i mean there's a pretty good chance or at least a decent chance that the playoff picture is settled one way or another tomorrow, right? Yeah. That for, and that all of the playoff teams are settled, not just that the Canucks season ends, but, you know, if Dallas beats Vegas, they're in, and that that, that clinches a spot for L.A. as well. So, it, it, look, it, it's there, and as as Boudreaux said to the media today, you know, he was watching, he was excited when Timo Meyer scored that goal to help the Sharks come back. Do you read anything into him bringing up his former colleague George McPhee, though? He said,
1: oh boy, George will be mad. That was part of his initial reaction. You know. Because there's a coach in Vegas who one would assume (sighs) is on a very
0: warm seat. And not just with his goaltender. (laughs) I mean. Okay. I mean. I'll deal with that in two parts. I don't think Boudreaux brought up George McPhee, who, of course, he worked with in Washington. McPhee now in, in Vegas. I don't think he brought it up consciously with that in mind to, like, remind everyone, oh, yeah, by the way, this this seat might be opened up and I have a connection there. I think it's an interesting reminder for everyone to kind of keep <laughs> that history and that relationship in mind. And, look, we got a lot of other stuff if to talk you wanted, about, too. If but... you
1: wanted to, shen, to send a shiver, though, down the spines of people you're negotiating with, not a bad answer. And here's the thing. I've <laughs> I've said a few times when we've been talking I agree about with the you. Bruce Boudreaux thing. Way. Yeah, I no. just want to clarify. I don't think he meant it, but as I reflected on the comment and read the tweet again, just as I joined you in the broadcast booth, I said, I didn't
0: understand this context until just now, but this actually feels quite loaded. And I, again, it's not loaded intentionally, but I do think it's a good reminder that the way the Boudreaux conversation has often been framed is kind of from a one-way Canucks perspective, right? Like, how could you not bring this guy back? And I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't really see a lot of logic to Canucks management you know, taking stock of their coaching situation and deciding to go in a different direction. But the important thing to keep in mind is that it's not just a one-way decision, right? There, There is a scenario that exists where Bruce Boudreaux could choose to go somewhere else. And I, I know the reporting on exactly, you know, who has what outclaws and how does it trigger and all of that uh, has been a little murky, but you do get the sense that, Boudreaux, if he really wanted to, could choose to go and test the market, and you just look at jobs that could be potentially be available. And with the way the season is ending in Vegas, I know a lot of people have said, oh, you know, you can't hang this on the coach, it's been injuries, it's it's the way the roster's constructed, it's not DeBoer's fault, but with all the drama and ugliness (laughs) that is unfolding in Vegas, I mean... I don't know how you bring Pete DeBoer back at this point, to be perfectly honest. And if that job comes open with all of the talent available with the commitment to winning from ownership, then all of a sudden that becomes an extraordinarily attractive coaching job, especially for somebody who has the career, the track record uh, that Bruce Boudreau does, but is just lacking that playoff success in that Stanley Cup. So, look, it's an interesting kind of tidbit to keep in mind. I don't think it was a a veiled message from Boudreau, but – if, if Boudreaux wants to explore what's out there and that Vegas seat is open, that's a pretty interesting job. Pretty interesting job for any coach. Pretty tempting, yeah. Especially when you have that
1: built-in relationship and, and trust, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think there was anything there, but it's it's certainly a reminder of the stakes ahead and the fact that this organization would be wise to put that to bed as quickly as possible. Hey, want to bring up for our audience, too, that the, the players and the coaches were wearing the flying skate here at today's practice. Hmm. I don't think we'll see it tomorrow, right? That feels more like a fan appreciation day activation on on Thursday night against well, the Kings. I don't know about that though because
0: if you're I wonder if they want to finish the season in their kind of standard ones but do one more kick of the can with the black skates tomorrow. Yeah, that's interesting. I could see that, right? Being with the, the final season being official, standard for all of for all of that. Uh, as you said, activations and kind of pomp and circumstance that goes along with the final game, but as kind of a fun treat for the second final one, go in the Blacks game.
1: That wouldn't surprise me either. On on the other hand, yeah, on the other hand, one thing that this organization's always been really conscious of is wearing their primary jerseys for posterity's sake in in big moments. Yeah. Uh, Do you really want Quinn Hughes to break the record and not be wearing your actual jersey? Uh, I don't know. Like, isn't that the biggest moment that can happen now? Is there anything else,
0: I mean, other than them making a miracle run to the playoffs? Yeah, which, the, the only one that has, like, Canucks franchise history tied up with it is that one. There's other interesting markers for players to hit, right? Like JT Miller making a run at 100 points, you know. But that's not, it's not as if he's the first his player to yeah, ever do it's that. It's not history. It's, it's an incredible milestone for him right. as a player. Uh, absolutely, But it's not franchise history, right? It's just uh, it's just really good and really impressive for him. So yeah, that's kind of the big, from a team perspective, a historic perspective, that's the one that's still out there. And I mean, that, that kind of segues nicely into the question of, presumably, and we, we talked about it, presumably they're not making the playoffs, right? Because of the absolutely absurd set of circumstances that would have to unfold. What else is this final... Three games, this final week of the regular season, about for the Canucks at yeah. this point. If it's not about, you know, that last ditch miracle effort at the playoffs.
1: Well, I asked Bruce Boudreaux about playing Spencer Martin today because, you know, Demco hasn't been at his best. I'd say it's fair. Like, I watched the Calgary game and I thought, oh boy, you know, that really wasn't Demco's best game. And then I checked the underlying numbers, and the Canucks had allowed four and a half expected goals against I was like, oh, man! Like, I knew it wasn't good defensively, but I didn't realize it was that bad. Uh, you know, I didn't realize that they were worse against the Flames defensively than they had been against the Ottawa Senators a few days earlier. The, you know, a- anyway, I want to I get back to this. I want to get back to last week and doing a little bit of a review of last week in the wake of the Flames game, because I have a theory that I want to sure. run by you. But the, you know... I think it depends. Like, I don't know that this next three games is about much in terms of the big picture if the Canucks are still hunting a playoff spot. If they're hunting a playoff spot, that's the overwhelming story, right? Like if Tuesday night they win and Dallas Loses in regulation. Loses in regulation. And probably the next night as well, both Dallas and Vegas lose on the second leg of their back to back games, which includes uh, you know, the Canucks counting on an Arizona win. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't but don't bet the mortgage. Right? Uh, seriously, don't. No, do not do that. Do not bet that the Coyotes uh, will defeat the Stars in regulation, and the Blackhawks will defeat the Golden Knights. No
0: chance. Even even on the second half. I was going to say both on the second half of a back to back. If you're if you're looking for that
1: Stop. silver lining, chance. Stop.
0: No, My goodness. No, will no, we'll, we'll
1: Leonard start one of those games. That's an interesting <sighs> subplot now. But you know, if things break their way both Tuesday and Thursday the only Dr. Strange path to victory, then Thursday and Friday, it's all going to be about that, right? And maybe Friday becomes about McDavid in the scoring race, and that's sort of a discouraging thing to keep in mind, is if the scoring race is tight, you're going to get a really hungry performance out of Edmonton as they try and feed McDavid to get that offense. You remember that Sadine game a few years back with the the between-the-legs goals, like... You sometimes get completely dominant performances from teams when they're, you know, trying to take care of their best player and hunting for individual glory. Like, you'll see a team, even though they've got nothing to play for, just absolutely step up. So, that's not the, like, Edmonton won't have anything to play for. Like, they're neck and neck. Huberto and McDavid. Um, that, I guarantee you, matters not just to McDavid, but to, to all of teammates, his teammates. For sure. And they're going to play hard. They're going to play hard if it's close. So... And it's the second game of a back-to-back with travel for the Canucks. And that's not an easy back-to-back because you lose an hour flying to Edmonton. And Edmonton, I don't know why, but is located like an hour and a half from the airport. So that's a tough back-to-back. That's a tough game. But if the things unfold Tuesday and Wednesday in a selective way that allows the Canucks to, you know, use their 10th and 11th life, then that's going to be the overwhelming story. However, if the Canucks are eliminated, I think there's a lot of interesting things that we could see over the balance of the season. I don't think we're going to see Jack Rathbone. I don't think we should see Jack Rathbone. Leave him to Cook. I think it makes sense for him to stay in the American League. He has had two massively disrupted professional seasons. He's playing really, really well right now for a team that's going to the playoffs. Leave him there. He can, He can. There's nothing he can do in two NHL games that's going to matter more for his development than having a really studly playoff run for the Abbotsford Canucks in the AHL playoffs. Leave him. That's not. That's not one of them for me. Spencer Martin getting a game, however, that I want to see. Maybe two. I'd love to see him get two. I don't think there's any chance because of how the, uh, Anna- <laughs> the San Jose if, Sharks
0: kept the Canucks alive. If things had gone differently yesterday, I think there's a chance he gets two of the final three two. now, and Boudreaux said as much, right? If yeah. Martin's playing, that means bad things have happened. Happens, so yeah. until that ha- until that's the case, Demer is playing. That's, that, those Demko's are Boudreaux's words. Demko's
1: yeah. playing three this week if the Canucks have a chance. So... But I do think the moment Demko's out, Spencer Martin will play, and I'm really curious to see if he can sustain the form that he had in his brief cup of coffee with the Canucks at the NHL level. He's played really well for Abbotsford this season. It's a vital story for me because Demko's played, you know, the third most games of any NHL goaltender. Uh, he played too much, and he hasn't been at his best of late. And we all know that, and it's not his fault. It's He played four and. Six, and eventually started to look less Demko-like than he had earlier in the year. Shocker. No one's shocked by that. This is a massive workload for a first-time starter. He doesn't like to talk about fatigue, but it's evident that it has an impact on his game and performance. It has an impact on every human being's you know, performance, Wait, even your job performance, of course. If you don't sleep well the night before. Right, we have bad shows all the time because I didn't sleep the <laughs> night before. No, I'm just kidding. We always have good shows.
0: Never! We've never had a bad show. <laughs> uh,
1: you haven't. I have. So the, you know, I think that's going to be a fascinating storyline because if Martin gets a game and doesn't play, like, first of all, I don't think you want to feed him that Edmonton game. Because that's like sharks in the water. You need his confidence up because you need to play him a lot next season. Like, you need him to play 20 to 25 for you next season. Non-negotiable has to happen. And when he's in net, he can't be pulled the way Halak was in some key starts this year, right? Like, that's you need that. You need that for the long-term health of your, you know, franchise player at this point. That's an absolute essential thing for the Canucks. Additionally, and I'm curious to get your take on this, I'm curious to hear from the Inbox too. If you guys have any thoughts on this, uh, text us at 650, 650. But what would you rather see the Canucks do if they're eliminated on Tuesday in the back to back Thursday, Friday? Would you rather see them play Pod Colson with Pedersen and Besser for the sake of Pod Colson beginning to build chemistry with some potential line mates for next year? Or would you rather see them play a third line of Patan, Lockwood, and Pod Colson? so that they get a couple games under their belt before being airdropped onto the AHL roster as as a first line for the American League comment uh, the American League Canucks, you know with the AHL playoffs starting 5 days later what what so, would, what would be a better use of this team's um, you know remaining NHL
0: ice time in the event that they're eliminated on Tuesday for me it's you keep Pod Colson, Pedersen and Besser together, right because it 's not for that it 's not just about pod colson 's development, which I think would be well served playing with those guys. You also want them to finish the season as strongly as possible right and 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 start not just again not just from a pod Colson perspective but from the perspective of Pedersen and Besser, start to kind of think about what line combinations do we have at hand available to us that could really work next year. I I get the perspective of let's try to kind of use these NHL games to give these let that let Patan and Lockwood and Pod Colson hit the ground running when they go back down to Abbotsford, because I do think the chance to go in a deep Calder Cup playoff run could be really meaningful for this for this organization as a whole, right? And guys like Pod Colson and guys like Rathbone specifically, Lockwood throw him in there as well. Like that's important. I don't want to write it off. But the, if you can gain any extra confidence that Pod Colson is a legit top six guy that you feel comfortable pairing with Elias Pettersson, pairing with Brock Besser, and and you you can look at that and say, you know what, we've got something there. We've got something that could be really good for us there. To me, that's too valuable to pass up. Because the thing for me is, you know, yeah, I'd like to see Spencer Martin get a game. I'd like to see Pod Colson keep getting opportunities, uh, the minutes that he has been getting. I I just want to see some of the other key players either continue to play like they have. Like I want to see another Elias Pettersson goal like the one he put past Dan Vladar on Saturday, even though it didn't mean anything. That goal was incredible. Like I just want to see them play at the absolute height of their game for the final week. We talked last week, too, about Pettersson
1: on the rush being like, like, come on, put him in that position. I want to see him skating with pace. When he releases with pace, you know what? Uh, It does remind me a little bit of Naslund. Yeah. Like the release is so fast, the the shot, the velocity on he gets on his rush wrist shot is higher than Naslund's was, which is scary to say because Naslund had an absolutely lethal rush wrister, but it reminds like the release is so fast goalies never have a chance at it if you don't design this team around that weapon
0: i honestly don't know what we're doing that here. that goal on saturday and there was so much else happening on saturday and they were all but eliminated from the playoffs so we didn't it, you know we didn't have a lot of time to zero in on the goal specifically i was doing the post game so with that but i also just kind of kept looking at the replays i was like i feel like i could just talk about this goal for an hour I it knows. was so impressive and it reminds me of it sucks that it didn't mean anything it it does right yeah. and that's that's the challenge that has to be repaired to make those moments of brilliance from Elias Pettersson mean something but it reminded me of the one I think he scored it in Nashville where he was coming down the right wing I believe and it was kind of from the boards and it was just an incredible wrister again and it, he just keeps giving you those moments of game breaking ability and just like Flashes of individual brilliance I want to see some more of those right like I Don't want and I don't want to you know a random Three game pointless streak or anything to end the Year to even dim what he's done in the second half Even that tiny little bit like finish As strong as you can so from That perspective and from Pod Colson's perspective Keep those guys together let them show what they can do In the final three games here I, I think I'm with you but
1: I'm going to uh, Offer a counterpoint I first want To get to the inbox though I want to see Pod with Dries as an unsigned texter I'd love to see the Abby line says my Marcus and Gibsons. The real question is um, texts. Oh, sorry. No, that's not about the Heath, the water guy. I'll get to you later. Uh, Pods with Besser and Petey. Pod Colson will never play with Patan Lockwood and Dries after his AHL stint anyway. Yeah, probably, probably right. Pod Colson with Petey, I think there's a possible match there and could be a line combination for a few years. Having Pod Colson produce at the top six level for the next two years would be vital for this team's salary cap woes, says Doran from Cumberland. Absolutely nailing the value of if you have a heavy press, if you have a heavy press top six player on an entry level contract, that is, I don't think there's another guy in the league doing it, to be totally honest with you. I mean, Michael Bunting is at an ELC level, but, you know, that's the type of value that you'd get out of Pod Colson on an ELC if he was able to produce at that level. That would be an incredible boon for this team. Now, here's my here's my counter-argument. Because I, I agree. I want to note that I agree with you. I agree with Doran from Cumberland. He, he, he absolutely n- nailed it. Nailed it like Pedersen on the rush with a <laughs> wrist shot. Um, hammer, meat, nail. But this organization, we know, tends to be motivated by, you know, Uh, the bottom line. They're a business, right? And this year, I think for all of the things that I've criticized the club for over the course of the season, one thing that I think really went well, really went well, was the depth grafted on to the American League roster for the purposes of the American League roster that held up solidly at the NHL level. And I'm talking about Drys. I'm talking about even Sheldon Rempaul looked good in the game that he got. I'm talking about Brad Hunt. I'm talking about Kyle Burroughs, who never played for the Abbotsford Canucks. Mm -hmm. But they were signed with the Abbotsford Canucks in mind, or at least as options to go down there, and then ended up giving this team games. Uh, I'm I'm even talking about Nick Patan. Um, You know, this club has, when push comes to shove, been able to rely on getting games at the bottom of their lineup from NHL players, which is distinct... Like, like you know, NHL-level depth players. D- don't get me wrong, not everyday NHL players, but NHL-level depth players. And there is a distinction between an N- NHL-level depth player and an AHL guy that can give you games. And because the Canucks went and luxuriously spent in the, uh, on the Abbotsford Canucks in their very first year in the Fraser Valley, they've raised the floor of the organization. And there's a, you know, advantage that will accrue from taking that approach year after year after year. The AHL is an uncapped league. If you're a high revenue, a big market team like Vancouver is in a hockey hockey context, you can accrue a massive advantage in terms of development time, player recruitment, uh, in terms of coaching development, by having a star-studded, highly compensated American League team, a successful American League team. If the Canucks can win a round or two, if they can, you know, generate some real revenue and excitement locally down in Abbotsford, might that tilt the club's approach in terms of, you know, what they spend going forward in the American League? I'd, it certainly would help Canucks well, hockey operations make the business yeah, case. It helps prove
0: the case, right? right? Hey, see, immediate, immediate return on investment
1: from everything <laughs> we spent last summer. Right. And I think that would matter a ton for the long-term health of this organization. I think they would. it would be such a departure from how they ran things in Utica and it would be such an advantage for this club to have, like, Marley's West mm-hmm. out in Abbotsford for, for years to come. So, you know, while I agree that the surplus value of getting Pud Coles in as many reps as he can with two potential line mates who may be his future running mates for years to come, uh, and, and as particularly mining that surplus value in the next two years when the Canucks, you know, cap crunch is going to guide the near-term future of this club as tempting as all of that is like i do still think it's a tough decision i do still think allowing those guys to hit the ground running in game one of the American League playoffs has to be weighted pretty heavily because I think there's significant future returns
0: from that as well. Uh, speaking of the Abbotsford Canucks, they're in a, the final push to the Calder Cup playoffs. Holding down a top four spot in the standings means the Canucks will host all the games in the first round best of three series. It would be May 4th, 6th and 7th at the Abbotsford center for more info and tickets, visit Abbotsford Canucks. Dot .ca and we've got uh, a little something special to give away on the show today As well, Drancer, a four-pack of Vancouver Discount Golf Cards. Vancouver Discount Golf Card is great for those that want to play golf in the lower mainland and Washington State at hugely reduced rates by getting amazing two-for-one deals and more. All you need to do is book your tee time according to the rules of the author, present your Discount Golf Card at the participating course when you arrive. That's it. Play some of your favorite courses at great rates, terrific discounts available uh, course and offer restrictions apply. So you can get a four-pack of Vancouver discount golf cards. you got to answer a trivia question, though. As you mentioned, Trancer, Quinn Hughes, right now, he is tied with Doug Lidster for the most points in a single season by a Canucks defenseman. We all expect that he will break it in the final three games. So he's tied for that record. Who holds the team record for most power play points in a season by a defenseman? Who holds the Canucks franchise record for most power play points in a season by a defenseman. Text in 650-650 with the answer. Uh, you've got a chance to win a four-pack of Vancouver Discount Golf Cards. We will tell you the answer. We will choose a winner, and we'll talk lots more Canucks on the other side. It is the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. All right, we have bad shows all the time, Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Trance live at Rogers Arena where the Canucks were on the ice practicing as they begin their final week of at least the regular season campaign for the team this year. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come. With fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit Avenue Machinery dot.ca. Admit it. Were you worried when we first did the question? And the first we were going to get zero 15, right answers. The first fifteen responses were incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got this. Is I've done a lot of trivia questions uh, on the station here. This might be the biggest spread. Of answers. Oh yeah, like, this is just like a great deep dive into Canucks defensemen of the past. Like just in a row here, we've got Dennis Kearns, Adrian Acoin, Jeff Brown, Yurkei Lume, Christian Ehrhoff. Just an incredible assortment of guys. Uh, uh, all because, really great players. Uh, all very talented Adrian, players. Adrian
1: Acoin was honestly Adrian Acoin is one of those classic guys who, if he'd played fifteen years later. Would have been known as one of the best defensemen in hockey. Um, instead, he had like that one year in Chicago where he played like a million minutes. Yeah, that like he sort of got that shine. But um, but Adrian Acoin was a fancy stats all star before fancy stats existed. He was like the <laughs> smartest guy, never made a bad play. He would be known as like um, you know the way the way we regard a guy like honestly Chris Tanev, but with a blast. Chris heavy, Hanna heavy with shot. an elite shot, that's basically... Really, not a bad player.
0: <laughs> really, really good player. Yeah,
1: that's basically who Adrian Decoyne was. Uh, it's but too, it's too bad the Canucks traded him. So, the... Um,
0: and and by the way, since we're just going down memory lane here, uh, I also think that Yerke Lume is one of the more underrated players. Yerke Lume, Yerke Lume, any, do you remember the flat blade?
1: Yes. When I say Yerke Lume's flat blade, do you know <laughs> what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. Man, Yerke Lume... Having a wicked backhand as a defenseman and keeping a flat stick so that he could get it off is honestly one of the most unique, cool things about any player
0: who's ever played for this franchise in my mind. But, uh, and just to remind everyone what the question was, it was Quinn Hughes is tied with Doug Lidster for the most points in a season by a Canucks defenseman. Who holds the team record for the most power play points? In a season by a defenseman and the answer is Paul Reinhardt who had 39 points on the power play back in 1988-1989 uh, the first of back-to-back 57 point seasons uh, for Paul Reinhardt with the Canucks in his final two years in the NHL as we speak of you know talented defensemen to play for this franchise it was only the two seasons but Fifty-seven points in back-to-back years—not bad, not bad at all for Paul Reinhardt, another kind of under-the-radar, forgotten guy. I think in a lot of respects, uh, Pro- Maryland
1: prolific on the power play and siring yes. NHL future An- NHL players, future
0: NHL draft picks, and for sure. and
1: also and also uh, uh, I think he's had a very successful investment business post post playing career. So so there you go. So well done, Paul Reinhardt. Shout you out to Paul Reinhardt
0: life. and uh, Marilyn from North Van had the correct answer. One of the handful. Now, I will say, as what always happens is you can tell there's some people that just guess the first thing off the top of their head and text in right away, and those are often wrong. And then as the minutes progress and more people have access to Google <laughs> and are able to Google the answer, you start to see more volume of right answers. But Marilyn was one of the first to get the answer right. So she wins a four-pack of Vancouver discount Golf cards, and uh, we will be giving away a four-pack of those discount golf cards every day this week here on Canucks Hour. So make sure you tune in. We'll have some more uh, fun and hopefully challenging trivia questions. Oh, I'm as ready. Well. I'm ready. Yeah. Drancer. Who's the Canucks?
1: Who's the Canucks all-time leader in even strength points for a defenseman?
0: <laughs> Ooh, can you guess? Dranser will get into his laboratory. The
1: answer. The answer will require. Here's a tip for you. The answer will require Chris Faber to lean heavily
0: on the bell. <laughs> yeah, he'll uh, he'll dig up some diabolical uh, trivia questions. for oh, yeah. us this week. Let's go. I, the I the hardest trivia that.
1: questions ever to win. Well, you know what? That's appropriate for a golf discount card, yeah. right? <laughs> like you have to be in the moment. You have to be focused. If one shot doesn't go your way, you
0: have to bounce back. Same with same with how difficult these trivia That's questions exactly. are going to be. Right. Uh, I did also want to give a shout out uh, the Bill Masterton award nominations were announced today, and this is a situation where uh, the writers for the PHWA, the, the writers in each market, each NHL market, uh, choose the nominees for this award, and for the Canucks this year, it was Luke Shen, and of course, the, the Bill uh, Masterton sorry, is for the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to the game. And I wanted to uh, just take a moment, first of all, to applaud Luke Shen and recognize that he's the nominee for that award. And, you know, it's it's a chance just to kind of look back at the season that Luke Shen has had. And it's obviously, by any standard, been an extremely successful season for Luke Shen. And I think, you know, the interesting thing about him being nominated for this award is obviously it's not just about what you do on the ice, it's also about kind of your story and and everything you had to work uh, through to get to that point and have this kind of season. And Luke Shen has been really, really open with the media and with fans this year, talking about kind of the process of reviving to a certain extent his NHL career over the last few seasons. Uh, he's had some really interesting, candid things to say, and it's just been an absolutely perfect fit between player and situation here for Luke Shen, you know, I know there was some talk at the deadline. Okay. he Teams would be interested in acquiring his services. He offers a lot to a contending team. Obviously, ultimately they decide to keep him. And it's it's hard to argue with that too much when you see how he's fit, the character he's brought, the resilience, all of that, the money he's making. I mean, it's just the, the nomination, just another kind of uh, – Uh, another mark on the resume for Luke Shen and what's been a really impressive return to Vancouver here.
1: So Luke Shen won back-to-back Stanley cups with the Tampa Bay lightning and had an opportunity to remain there, but he loves the game so much that he really wanted to seek out an opportunity where he could play an everyday role. And so he comes to Vancouver and Vancouver also signs five right-handed defensemen the day they signed Luke Shen and coming out of training camp. He was out of the mix. He wasn't in the top six. Um, even with Hamannick out and away from the team, you know, Shen was found himself behind Kyle Burrows in, in the depth chart and wasn't playing an everyday role to open the season. He was a, a regular rinse. He was not skating every day. It, it didn't look like it was going to work out. And I think there were some tough moments. I think there were some candid conversations internally. And Shen, by all accounts, was just through it all an absolute professional. Uh, a hardworking, team-focused guy. Super good to deal with from a media perspective. And just kept coming. And right now, he's cemented himself as a top four blue liner on this team. He's been in that role for 35 games. The team's had enormous success with him there. He's an absolute fan favorite. He's the toughest guy on this team. Mm-hmm. He's a good complement with Quinn Hughes, even though I still think ideally he's, you know, a six, seven guy uh, for on a really good team. He's played exceptionally well. For the Canucks this season, he's been a great signing, a great find, and obviously exemplifies a lot of what this organization wants from their players, as, as you can tell when you hear guys like Patrick Alvin discuss it with them. Some really strong nominees this year in the Masterton field. Uh, Josh Morrissey overcame the off season death of his father, Tom, to cancer um, had a career year, uh, has been raising money for for cancer care throughout the season. I think he's going to probably be a finalist. He he certainly deserves to be. Uh, Kevin Hayes, of course, yes. had off season surgery, but then of course lost his brother tragically. Um, you know, uh, during the off season, and then of course Carey Price, and and I think Carey Price is, um, you know, struggles this year. His absence this year, the fact that he was able to get back into the net for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, that's, those are the types of players for whom this uh, award is designed to recognize. There's some really strong candidates, 32 really strong candidates, but those three jump off the page to me when I peruse it as, as guys who are just, you know, yeah. uh, have been through a lot this season and, and have, you know, persevered, continued to play hard, uh, continued to show their love for the game, which, which of course is what the Masterton award is designed to recognize. Masterton, of course, um, you know. Uh, yeah, it's it's the PHWAs award. It's taken very
0: seriously. And um, yeah, congratulations to Luke Shen. Yeah. A deserving nominee from the with, Vancouver chapter with this award. It's obviously the ultimate winner. That's that's an incredible honor. And that's important. But it's also just about having an opportunity to recognize and acknowledge the 32 nominees uh, as well. So again, congratulations to Luke Shen and all of the nominees for that award. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts and questions coming in and I wanted to I wanted to read this text that came in a little bit earlier uh, right around when we were doing our trivia and it's unsigned but it says how does this management group balance the need to perform surgery and construct a better roster and the possible pain that comes with those changes with the need to avoid recreating a cultural situation uh, like what happened after the bubble and going into the 2021 North Division season. The texture says it's clear that 2021 did create scar tissue and with clear. Key, key players either entering into or in mid-prime years, the growing pains excuse rebuilding teams use won't cut it uh, anymore. As Drance always says, winning builds culture and this team's needs a lot more of both and that is a very interesting question to me to answer just the idea of sitting down and intellectually recognizing that you might need to make some really difficult decisions you might need to part with some players that are really key parts of what the team does on the ice how do you sell that not just to a fan base, which is extremely rabid and wants to win, but also to your key players? How do you sell that and make sure that even as you're doing this kind of large scale uh, surgery, potentially, you are still building that culture and making sure everyone is pulling in the same direction? It, it's uh, it's a fascinating challenge to me because you can't use you can't use the fear of upsetting the apple cart to let you to. Con- you know, off the hook of making changes. You have to bite the bullet and make changes, but it also matters how you handle it and how you sell it and making sure you do get that buy-in from everyone as well. Well, and you have to make changes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think... You, you can't use a fear of instability to prevent you from just well, we just got to stay the course because we can't rock the boat. No, you've you got to be able to stare it stare down and make those tough decisions. Or worse, a misguided view that the, the way the team performed in the last 54
1: is in fact who they are. You know, throw out the rest of their games. I mean, you can find a 54 game stretch from a lot of teams where they look pretty good. Um, you know, you have to do it over 82. Uh, I, you know, I think this team needs significant changes. And I do think that you know, part of that, part of the difficulty there is that you've got enough pieces here who are really good. As as we say sometimes, the, the several core players of the next great Canucks team are probably already here, mm-hmm. right? So this is not a classic rebuild by any means. Uh, Patrick Alvin has, you know, swatted that aside when, when the word's been presented to him. Uh, we know that there's not a ton of appetite among... Canucks ownership to have a extended Rebuilding process This is not going to be like the Montreal Canadiens Who are pretty clearly going to steer Into a more scorched earth approach We are going to see This Canucks team Make changes though, I do believe that And I, I believe they're necessary I think there's a segment Of the fan base that will be not devastated, but will certainly struggle to understand why a team that was as good as they have been under Bruce Boudreau. What, what what is it? 103 point pace, something like that. Thirteenth mm-hmm. best record in the NHL. Um, you know why they're performing such significant surgery, and I, I do expect it to be significant. I, I think it has to be. You know, I, I look at the way that they played against. So let me come back to this because I said that I would. Last week to me was the Canucks' season. In a microcosm mm-hmm. Like like a real microcosm of the Canucks season We saw two games where for me I thought they played really good Like really good hockey They won one, they lost one The Dallas Stars game was maybe one of their best performances of the year And I thought the Minnesota game Until late when Kevin Fiala started to do laps and stunt on them <laughs> um, You know, I thought that was a really good team performance Really good Strong, controlled play 5-on-5 five five, Hung in there Generated goals Um, You know, they probably didn't have the goaltending that they've had in most of the games in which they've played that way uh, in Minnesota, in St. Paul, the other day. But nonetheless, I thought those two games were, were of a part. And then you come to the games in Calgary and against Ottawa here, and I thought that was the worst version of the Canucks that we've seen occasionally this season. Certainly on that seven-game homestand that kind of cost them a playoff spot in addition to the slow t- first 25 games, obviously. That's that's the big, that's the headline reason for yes. why the Canucks lost the uh, didn't make the playoffs this year. But I think a secondary reason would be that seven-game homestand and their performance against some moribund clubs. Um, where all of a sudden, teams just get whatever they want in terms of the club's defensive structure. Like, it disappears. You can still see the team working, by the way, through those, right? It's just... They're working as individuals. It looks scrambly. The game opens up, and they just surrender so much more than they generate. And I felt like we saw that team play two games last week. So it was like, you know, almost the good and the bad all at once. And the good and the bad that we've seen all season all at once, all in a one-week tableau that, you know, kind of ended the Canucks season, even though I suppose they still have one all path, but it, one oh, path yeah, to the playoffs. All but ended it. And so, you know, I do think you have to be rational enough to look at this Canucks run and say, okay, there's some really good individual pieces here. There's some really intriguing young core pieces here. There's definitely a franchise goaltender. There's probably a franchise center, and it's number 40, by the way. Uh, and there's pretty clearly a franchise defenseman. That's a good core. Like, if you're pitching a tent, mm-hmm. those are the four. Well, pitching an actual tent, that's, that's the four that's the three pillars that you want. Like that's what you want. You throw in, you throw in like a a big game second line centerman. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's mm-hmm. that, you've got something to work with. There's there's something malleable there that you can build around. So this this is probably not a a you know race to the bottom and and land Connor Bedard situation. Probably not. Although I still think they should. Consider it. Mean, it's just <laughs> the the uh, we'll we'll talk about this. Yeah. We have all. Officers. Yeah, we do. We do. But uh, I'm just saying, Bedard's such a good prospect and such a big Canucks fan that I don't think you can ignore <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm just saying. So yeah, but Tyler Mott's not here anymore. So he... <laughs> I know that's too bad. Well, he's a free agent. That's that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. So anyway, you need to um, you know you probably do need to turn this around quickly. I I almost wonder. Do you think you're in a position where What this team could really use is, like, a super high-profile star player who's accomplished everything, whose bona fides are completely unquestioned, who could come in and sort of insulate. Like, all of a sudden, Pedersen, Horvat, Hughes don't have to be the guy, Mm. but... There's a guy with rings and who's done it all and is Hall of Fame bound. On the, like, tail end of their careers. Like, a, yeah, like I, a Corey Perry. I'm talking about like, well, I, Joe Pavelski. I'm, no, no, no. Someone who's still at a high level. Oh, they okay. need to. They need okay. to still be at a high level. At, at the very least, they need to be in your top six. I'm talking about a answer for this core to what the twins Kessler and Burroughs got with from Sundin and Demetra. Yeah. I
0: almost wonder if that's what you what you kind of need. Well, I mean... Rutherford and Alvin have ties to Pittsburgh. Gino Malkin is a UFA. I don't know if that's plausible, but when you you just list those attributes, that's a guy who comes to mind, right, who's getting it done at a high level and has about as impressive a resume as you could possibly have in the NHL and who has ties to key members of this organization. Very interesting. And,
1: you know, the other guy I sort of wonder about, because I think you could get an asset for him, like, to take him on, particularly because this team's got some – uh, significant things that they'll have to hurdle, and they're an elite team, and they're in win-now mode. But, you know, Faber, do you have the bell ready? Florida Panthers forward uh, Patrick Hornquist, who also has ties to Malkin, uh, sorry, to, uh, well, to Malkin, as <laughs> his former line yes. mate, but also to Alvin and Rutherford. Um, Hornquist has one year left at 5-2. The Florida Panthers are going to have to extend Mackenzie Wieger and Jonathan Huberto probably this summer. Those are vital pieces. That's a top-line forward and the NHL's leading scorer uh, at the moment. So there's some there's some work to do. Now, those guys have a year remaining. So it's not like they're... But, you know, I do think that that's coming. I do think that there's an opportunity there. Uh, Hornquist has had a huge impact on the young guys in Florida who have all leveled up. He's... One of the most competitive guys in hockey, um, an excellent net front guy, right-handed shot. He's not fast anymore, but he's still playing for a Panthers team that's had to jettison really good players over the course of the year because they didn't have minutes for them, like Frank vitrano, who's now like scoring a thirty-goal pace in New York, um, and Owen Tippett, who they couldn't even find minutes for, uh, but who's clearly an NHL caliber player. So you know, I sort of wonder about you know that addition as well. Like those are the types of bringing in some guys with stature, some guys who've done it all, who have rings, who've seen how it works, um, you know, who could insulate, I think, the young guys a little bit, but also, you know, bring a sense of how to do it the right way to this club. I think that's, I, th- I kind of think that's where this core group is at, where they need that type of influence in the room. Um, if they're going because this, this franchise is only going as far as Pedersen and Hughes and Demko and, you know, Bo Horvat potentially can take it. Uh, we've seen like, as much as we all like to use the coaching change as the demarcation point of this season, and we should. I'm not saying we should ignore that split. I find it very difficult to get over the likelihood that this season is probably better split between the first 41 games when Pedersen... Of Pedersen. Yeah, when yeah. Pedersen had six goals. And the latter... Well, it's really the first 34 games where Pedersen had six goals and 41... Uh, 30, uh, Sorry, 17 points. 0.5 points per game. And since... Where he's got you know 25 goals in the in the 38 games since, and I think sorry it's 26 now, and you know is well over point per game. Like for me, that was that was what changed in the second half more than anything else. It was that Pedersen started to win games individually, started to break games reliably for this team. For me, and we talked about this on Friday, everything needs to be done to make sure you're getting you know. Peterson to do that to have his Huberto season to yeah. have his season where he levels up and becomes a different player to have his JT Miller season right um, the way that this team's built right now you know I do think there's going to be significant surgery to get to that point and I, I don't think you can ignore the intangible cultural side of it either which is you know bringing in the guy who can teach them how to how to do it
0: the way Sundin did 10 years ago. Has the way, and who has the weight and the talent still as well. Still, be yeah. be a, a well, contributing key member. You
1: don't bring in leadership on your fourth line. The Canucks did that five years ago. It was it didn't work. And actually the scars of that decision are still present as the club has a ton of money inefficiently committed as a result of getting rid of it on the back end. They, they sort of compounded that pain this offseason. So, you know, finding a way to do that whether it's uh whether it's the the, the big guy you mentioned.
0: Yeah. Um you'd be interested to I see mean, his impact would... on Pod Colzin, eh? Woo! But that would be a look, that is this is very pie in the sky at this moment of time, but that would be just a fascinating, fascinating I, I decision. Hadn't even,
1: I hadn't even considered it, but I mean it's uh it's an interesting one. And then and then obviously the uh the right winger that I brought up. I think, you know, those are both guys who would fit that bill and I, I just I struggle to think that that wouldn't be a helpful way to begin to turn the page on some of the mistakes problems toxicity that have hung around this team over the past two years and and you know boudreaux's hire and the run the club has gone on i think has cleared a lot of that air already but i still think there's work to do to put it behind us or put put it behind this franchise and begin to really chart a new course for this group And, and for me that course goes through directly 40 43 35
0: we will be back tomorrow on another canucks game day they host the seattle kraken one of the final three games of the regular season the people's show with bick nazar and randy janda is next on your home of the canucks Sportsnet 650
1: pitching an actual tent